well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and we're going to be talking about some elected officials who are standing up for the right to keep and bear arms today. Before we do that, however, this episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns, so why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbullionusa.com. So we have been talking quite a bit about what's going on in Oregon, where it looks like Measure 114, that uh, anti-gun ballot initiative, is going to pass with somewhere between 51 and 52 percent approval. I mean, it's not a slam dunk, but it looks like it will be narrowly approved. And, you know, that's all that the gun control advocates need, right? Give them an inch. They're going to take a mile. And that's exactly what they're doing here. So. Right now, it looks like the election will be certified on December 15th. That starts a 30-day countdown for when Measure 114 will take effect. Theoretically, January 15th, right? When that happens, uh, according to opponents of Measure 114, unless the state of Oregon has written all of the uh, permitting procedures uh, for the new permit-to-purchase requirement, that every would-be gun owner is going to have to jump through uh, before they can exercise their right to simply keep a gun in their home. Um, if that, if those uh, rules are not written by January fifteenth, what happens? Proponents of Measure One One Four, the uh, the backers, say, "Well, uh, nothing happens. Uh, the measure can't take effect until the uh, legislature writes the rules." Folks who've studied Measure 114 say, well, that's not actually in the legislation. The legislation says this kicks in after 30 days. Regardless, it says nothing about uh, contingent upon the legislature actually drafting these policies. So you've got a lot of law enforcement officials who are concerned uh, that come January 15th, Nobody's going to be able to legally purchase a firearm in Oregon. Uh, And we've had a number of county sheriffs who've been speaking out against Measure 114. We talked about uh, Sheriff Michelle Duncan. Uh, She, I think, was the first to say, listen, I'm not enforcing this magazine ban. That's also a part of Measure 114. There's the permit to purchase requirement, which has all kinds of uh, uh, problems with it. But there's also the ban on quote unquote large capacity magazines, those ammunition magazines that can hold more than ten rounds. That's 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 how large capacity is defined uh, in Oregon. That is a made up term, by the way. Uh, one state's large capacity is ten rounds, another state's is fifteen, another state's is twenty, another state's is thirty. Right, or in the case of uh, Columbus, Ohio, they tried to draft a uh, local magazine ban ordinance that uh, would have capped magazine possession at uh, 30 rounds. Again, there's no standard definition because it's an invented term. Just like assault weapon is a gun I want to ban, large capacity magazine is a magazine that they want to ban. The capacity is too large 
uh, for you folks who want to exercise your right of self-defense. So the magazine ban component looks like it will take effect as of January 15th. Like that portion of the law is already written. Uh, And as of Monday, there were at least three county sheriffs in Oregon who said that they had no plans to enforce that magazine ban. The numbers are growing. Uh, The sheriff in Baker County, David Ash, said on Monday that he is, quote, frustrated by the passage of Measure 114. Uh, He says, I've been fielding several questions along with many concerns about the measure. I'm frustrated, just like many of you are. I fully expect legal challenges to be filed in our court systems regarding some or all of the components of Measure 114. He went on to say, as the measure currently stands, after January 15th, the permit will be required to purchase a firearm in Oregon. Unfortunately, this requires the state to create infrastructure that does not yet exist and coordination among numerous government entities with different administrative structures. In spite of these obstacles, the Baker County Sheriff's Office is working in collaboration with fellow law enforcement agencies to include the Baker City Police Department to ensure that people have the ability to obtain a permit to purchase firearms. When it comes to the magazine ban, Ash said, uh, quote, the Baker County Sheriff's Office will not focus investigations on magazine capacity issues. In other words, we're not going to go out and proactively uh, look for violations, but he's not saying that he wouldn't charge somebody if he found them to be in possession of a, let's say, 17-round magazine, which under the provisions of Measure 114, and this is really confusing, this is going to ensnare a lot of people. There's a, uh, I won't call it a loophole, but there is an asterisk with the gun ban. So if you possess uh, 10 plus round magazines, under Measure 114, you are supposed to destroy them, permanently modify them, uh, get rid of them somehow, get them out of the state, right? Or you can just keep them. But you can only take them to a range uh, or have them in your home. I know, right? So again, what good is this going to do? What violent criminal is going to be dissuaded from committing a violent crime because of this awkwardly uh, uh, written magazine ban? It's it's absurd. But again, I really fear like it's going to entrap people uh, because there are going to be people who say, wait, wait a second. I, I, I thought we just had to turn them in. And that is what gun control advocates really want you to do, right? They want you to get rid of them. But again, if you keep them, what happens when you're on your way to or from the range? You get pulled over. You gonna get in trouble? What if you're what if you're driving around and you say, I'm just going to the range? Are you gonna get in trouble? Again, from a pragmatic perspective, this magazine ban has an awful lot of problems. Uh, and I'm glad to see that uh, sheriffs like uh, Sheriff Ash are speaking out. Uh, I will say that there have been other sheriffs who have been far more vocal. Uh, in their opposition, much less diplomatic in the language that they have used. Uh, Union County Sheriff Cody Bowen says that uh, Measure 114 is, quote, an infringement on our constitutional rights and will not be enforced by my office. Yeah. He said the measure will only harm law-abiding gun owners and will result in wasted time with additional redundant background checks. With no funding from the state to provide additional payroll costs, this will ultimately sacrifice patrol and deputy presence in our community. Another attempt at defunding our police and its finest. To the people who chime in with me picking and choosing which laws I want to enforce or not enforce, hear this, he says. When it comes to our constitutional rights, I will fight to the death to defend them, no matter what crazy law comes out of Salem. Uh, I'd I'd vote for Sheriff Bowen. I don't know about you, but uh, yeah, 
I'd do it. And I'm glad that the sheriff talks about some of the other problems here. Look, there are plenty of constitutional concerns with Measure 114, as we have outlined. Um, and I have said repeatedly since the election, and it, you know when it became uh, pretty evident that uh, Measure 114 is going to squeak by with approval, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse on the part of voters here. They were told this was just going to be something simple. This was going to be something effective. This was going to be something life-saving. And by the way, uh, it, it wouldn't hurt them at all, right? As, as non-gun owners, how on earth is this going to impact them? So I think you had a lot of Oregonians who were not gun owners, who are proud progressives, who felt like they were doing the right thing here. And they're not aware of the unintended consequences, but they're about to find out because there is going to be a shortfall for many law enforcement agencies. According to the state's own financial impact estimates, they say that the uh, new fees associated with Measure 114 are going to bring in about $19 million. They say that the cost of administering Measure 114 in the first year is going to be about 50 million dollars. Yeah. And after that, while the cost to administer the program goes down slightly, the revenue doesn't go up. So they're anticipating somewhere between 20 and 30 million dollars shortfalls. Now, again, these are the government's estimates. Would it surprise you if those turn out to be lowball estimates and the funding gap is actually a lot larger? Wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but the, according to the government's own estimates, we're looking at a 30 million dollar shortfall. That's going to have to be plugged, again, by local law enforcement. Now, counties and states, they don't, they, they don't run deficit spending. It's not like Congress. You know, they've got to be able to live within their means. And so when you put all of these additional administrative costs on sheriff's agencies and police departments, what will happen? Well, as Cody Bowen, the sheriff there in Union County, described. Uh, there will be sacrifices to patrols. There'll be fewer deputies on the streets. And this does amount to defunding the police because it forces them to spend money that they don't have, which will in turn force them to reallocate resources and direct those resources at people who are trying to stay within the confines of the law, as opposed to focusing on on the relatively small number of individuals who are responsible for a disproportionate amount of violent crime. So even if you're not a gun owner in Oregon and you thought, well, I'm going to vote for this and it's going to save lives and it's going to do good things. Um, it's not. This isn't going to save any lives. The magazine ban is going to be completely ineffective. Violent criminals aren't going to go get a permit to purchase a firearm anyway. They're just going to illegally acquire them. These are laws aimed squarely at legal gun owners, but the impact will be felt by all Oregonians, even those who don't own a gun. So uh, those Oregon residents who thought that they were voting for public safety with Measure 114, no. Uh, they're voting to make Oregon a less safe place, unfortunately. Now, uh, I do anticipate that we're going to see more sheriffs speak out, but I also do think it's important to note that the legislature has a role to play here. And this is where it could get really interesting. Uh, you know, Multnomah County, right now about 74% of voters in Multnomah County, that's Portland, uh, approved Measure 114. 
couple of the uh, uh, collar counties uh, surrounding Multnomah County also went for Measure 114. You look at the most of the counties in the state, though, uh, and opposition was running high. 70, 80, maybe even 85 percent disapproval. So this is not a bipartisan uh, ballot measure. And Democrats in Salem should not expect a lot of help from Republicans to try to make this bad measure better. Again, the, the, the only way to do that is really to overturn this thing. But going back to Multnomah County, 74% approval, 26% disapproval. Some of those 26% weren't conservatives. They were progressives. And I think we're about to see uh, the progressive argument against Measure 114 uh, take place to some degree uh, in the state legislature. Now, I I expect that the establishmentarian Democrats are going to win out here. But don't be surprised if you do hear some progressives uh, arguing uh, that Measure 114 is going to uh, increase incarceration for nonviolent crimes. Uh, it is going to uh, increase policing uh, on these streets of Portland when these progressives want uh, uh, less incarceratory measures to take place. They're looking for more uh, you know, community violence intervention instead of more gun control laws. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out and uh, just how difficult it is to make this particular bit of anti-gun sausage uh, in the legislature. So we'll be following this very, very closely. Uh, meanwhile, Alan Gottlieb, founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, says that uh, they are already prepping a lawsuit. They are looking for plaintiffs right now uh, to take on Measure 114 to try to block the new law from taking effect. The timing of this is going to be really interesting because, again, y- you need to know what the law looks like. Uh, we know the rough outlines of what the law looks like. Um, but it's going to be, I think, really fascinating to see when this lawsuit gets filed. Probably won't happen until after December 15th when the election is certified. And we know that Measure 114 is going to be implemented at some point, uh, but probably before January 15th when the law is slated to take effect and the magazine ban, at least, will be taking effect. So um, we've probably got, you know, two months uh, and, and, you know, maybe six or seven weeks before we uh, see that lawsuit filed there in Oregon. And there might be more than one, quite frankly, uh, lawsuit uh, headed uh, to the federal courts there in Oregon dealing with Measure 114. Because, again, there are so many people who will be impacted by this and so many uh, parts of Measure 114 that, in my mind anyway, are flagrantly unconstitutional from the uh, built-in waiting period uh, to purchase a firearm. Because, again, you got to go through this permit-to-purchase system And these issuing authorities will have 14 days to uh, go through your application. So you're already looking at a de facto two-week waiting period. Uh, Then again, uh, you're also looking at having to uh, receive permission and approval through uh, some pretty subjective standards, by the way, before you can exercise a fundamental civil right. I think that is squarely unconstitutional. And I have to say, I'm not looking forward to Measure 114 uh, being implemented. But I am very much looking forward to the inevitable lawsuits to come because I don't think this law is going to stand up in court. And I think the uh, anti-gun activists who are pushing 
who pushed for Measure 114 and who are now, by the way, pushing for a ban on so-called assault weapons in the state of Oregon, I think they're going to have a lot of egg on their face. And again, I think they're going to be a lot of Oregon uh, voters with some buyer's remorse in the months ahead. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story. Our uh, good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll, uh, we'll start there. Baltimore. Now, this is not actually a recidivist report because the suspect in this case, I don't think, had a previous criminal history. But it is certainly a case of going soft on crime. A uh, victim's family in Baltimore outraged after a 14-year-old who was charged in, in a fatal shooting receives a plea deal that could see him behind bars for no more than nine months. Yeah. Um, the f- now 15-year-old suspect who was accused of shooting and killing a man named uh, Timothy Reynolds will enter a plea deal. His attorney, Warren Brown, telling Fox 45 in Baltimore that the uh, teen would plead guilty to manslaughter and the case would then be sent to juvenile court. Uh, Jay Wendell Gordon, another one of the uh, teen's attorneys, says, uh, we have an agreement, as we said at the beginning, this was not a first-degree murder case. Well, the victim's family would certainly disagree about that. Um, in July, Tim Reynolds got into a confrontation with a group of uh, squeegee kids. So these are basically teenagers just stand on the street corners in Baltimore. You pull up at a red light. They start wiping off your windshield. If you don't want them to, tough. And you're supposed to give them money for that. Uh, Reynolds uh, was armed with a baseball bat. He crossed uh, Light Street in Baltimore to confront the teenagers. He actually swung his bat uh, at the group but didn't hit them. One of the boys threw a rock at his head and did hit Tim Reynolds. And so as uh, he stumbled and turned away and started walking back to his car, uh, one of the other uh, teenagers, who was 14 at the time, uh, pulled out a gun and shot Reynolds five times, killing him. Reynolds' sister, uh, Becky, says our family is absolutely devastated. She said this was a senseless murder that didn't have to happen, and we're being further victimized by the Baltimore City State's attorney, Tim Reynolds' uh, widow, Shannon Reynolds, says she was confident that the case would not be moved to juvenile court. She said I was blindsided when I heard the state and Ms. Mosby, Carolyn Mosby, was offering a plea deal. She said Mosby should recuse herself. Um, a former federal prosecutor, uh, Thiru Vignaraja, who uh, also uh, ran for mayor of Baltimore, lost, ran for state's attorney, challenged uh, Marilyn Mosby, lost. Uh, he's been representing the family pro bono. He said, uh, based on his discussions with the boys' attorneys, it looks like if this plea deal is approved, he'll serve no more than nine months in a juvenile facility. Now, the defense attorneys are disputing that, saying that he could remain in custody until he was 21. But note that that word could remain in custody. Basically, it sounds to me like uh, if he doesn't get in trouble in the first nine months that he's in juvenile detention, he'll be released. If he does get into trouble, he could stay behind bars. If he gets out and he gets in trouble again, he could go back and have to serve the remainder of his sentence, possibly until he turns 21. But again, that would be the most that this now 15-year-old could serve. Six years for, again, what prosecutors are now apparently willing to accept as manslaughter. But what really does sound like uh, a case of murder, and I I would actually argue some premeditation involved, given the fact that uh, Reynolds was walking back to his car, did not present a, a threat 
to the uh, teenagers. So this was not a case of self-defense. Maryland, by the way, is not a stand-your-ground state. So uh, even if this had been a case of self-defense, and again, I don't think it meets the definition, um, the teenagers uh, in question would have been required under Maryland law to retreat to a safe distance. Reynolds had a baseball bat and was walking back to his car at that point in time. This is a public thoroughfare. The uh, teens could have kept walking away from Reynolds. Uh, Instead, one of them pulled a gun and fired five shots. Again, not self-defense, not manslaughter in my mind, but uh, this could result in a nine-month sentence. First plea deal, by the way, that was offered would have carried a 60-year sentence. Marilyn Mosby's office, uh, by the way, said that the uh, prosecutor offered that plea deal without proper approval, so uh, she pulled it, and now a uh, a much softer deal is on the table. Today's Armed Citizen story from Seattle, Washington, where a uh, woman was able to escape was described as a vicious pimp in Seattle with the help of an armed rideshare driver. Yeah, the uh, 20-year-old woman uh, apparently had been taken from California to Seattle. She was trafficked. Uh, taken uh, to Seattle to perform sex acts for money, according to prosecutors. She uh, first tried to escape her pimp, uh, described as uh, uh, 30-year-old Winston Burt, who's at the street named Dice Capone. Anyway, the uh, victim first tried to escape Burt by jumping nearly naked from a third-story window. She finally succeeded after running from his car and sitting topless on a highway until a rideshare driver helped her. Uh, The woman was taken to a hospital with injuries, including black eyes, broken ribs, a broken leg, spinal injuries. Bert being held on $750,000 bail, he's set to be arraigned, uh, uh, was set to be arraigned last Thursday. The uh, deputy prosecutor, Benjamin Gaughan, said in uh, charging papers, the defendant leads a sex trafficking enterprise that has operated in at least three U.S. states involving multiple victims who've been exploited, harmed, and maimed by the defendant's violent, and coercive actions. H.A., the uh, the victim in this case, told police that uh, she had been, quote, working for Bert for about four months in California and Arizona, as well as Seattle. Um, but when she tried to leave, he started beating her. She wanted to get out. She was done. And he wouldn't let her, according to uh, her statement. He attacked the other woman as well, identified by her initials ST, uh, in the rental home where they were living, kicking and pistol whipping the woman until her eyes swelled shut. And he forced the other woman to uh, participate in the attack as well. On November the 2nd, he similarly beat and pistol whipped H.A. after she said that she wanted to leave. He split her lip open so badly it appeared to be hanging off of her face, she told police. For three days afterwards, she was trapped inside that rental home. No phone, no money, nowhere to go, in extreme pain with, you know, pretty serious injuries. And then that Saturday night, Bert allegedly began punching her again, ordered her to take off the clothes that he had given her. In her underwear, she tried to escape out the front door, but he then picked her up and slammed her to the ground. She ran upstairs with Bert chasing her. She jumped from that third-story window, landed on the ground, managed to get into the street, flagged down a car with two women inside. And as she was speaking to them, the other young women came outside of the home, and they told the uh, ladies in the car that uh, this victim was, quote, off her medication, she was having an episode, and that she'd be okay. The others then forced the victim into Bert's white Mercedes, 
telling the woman who had stopped to help that they were taking her to a hospital. Instead, they drove to a nearby motel where uh, H.A. had previously been trafficked. Bert allegedly sent the other woman into the motel. H.A. remained in the vehicle, still only in her underwear. He said that he would let her leave, according to the statement she gave to police, but first he was going to knock all of her teeth out. She managed to escape from the car. She ran across a six-lane highway, desperate for help. Several motorists called 911, but nobody stopped. And so she sat down on the highway. Prosecutors said that she felt safer in the middle of a busy highway, practically naked at night, than being within arm's reach of the defendant. The rideshare driver, whose name we don't know, was the first driver to stop. And he told AJ, get in the van. I'll help you out. Bert pursued them, shooting at the rideshare driver's van. The rideshare driver, however, was also armed and fired back over several blocks until he was able to get on Interstate 5. He's on the phone with police at this point. He's able to meet police at a gas station. The uh, van's windshield uh, struck several times, but thankfully the uh, driver and the victim were uninjured. Uh, Police arrested Bert as he was leaving the rental home with the other women. He's now facing charges that include human trafficking, promoting prostitution, assault, drive-by shooting, and additional charges are uh, likely. Prosecutors say they're also concerned about uh, witness tampering. Um, According to prosecutors, Bert has already been reaching out to the victim in an attempt to learn her location and persuade her to return. Now, I don't know what's going to happen here with the criminal charges against Bert. But I do know that uh, this woman is very lucky that she ran across an armed citizen who was able to protect her and take her away from that uh, violent situation that she was in. And I also know that that rideshare driver is likely to lose his job because of it. Because both Lyft and Uber prohibit drivers, even those with concealed carry licenses, from carrying in their own vehicles while they're on the clock. Can't do it. Doesn't matter if you are the victim of an armed robbery yourself and you use your firearm to defend yourself. Doesn't matter if you save a woman from sex trafficking on the side of a busy highway. As long as you have your firearm with you when you're uh, working, you're, you're not allowed to drive for Uber or Lyft anymore. And so it is very likely that this rideshare driver saved a life and lost their job because of it. We will uh, try to bring you more details uh, of this situation as they become available again without knowing the rideshare driver's name or even what company he worked for. It's impossible to know whether or not he's still employed. But um, again, if the company finds out whether it's Uber or Lyft, they're going to give him the boot. Today's uh, good deed of the day from uh, Hawaii where a uh, U.S. Marine uh, honored for his life-saving actions uh, back in September. This was uh, Labor Day, and uh, Corporal Robert Farmer, you see him there uh, on your screen. Uh, He was spending his uh, Labor Day at the China Walls Cliffs on Oahu when he saw a uh, big wave sweep a woman off the side of a cliff. Farmer said, I thought she was stuck on the rocks at the base of the cliff, but she wasn't there. 
And when I spotted her stuck in the coral, I thought to myself, all right, I need to get there. There was a large swell. The conditions were rough, but I had to help. So I jumped. Farmer swam through the strong current to reach the woman, was able to pull her to the base of the cliff. And with the help of a, a surfer, and they were able to carry the woman to the top of a uh, nearby hillside uh, where another Marine, Lance Corporal Elizabeth Previtt, stepped in to administer first aid. Uh, Farmer worked with paramedics to check uh, the woman he had saved, uh, didn't have any serious injuries. The woman did survive. Uh, Corporal Farmer says that uh, as an experienced whitewater kayaker, he knows what it's like to be trapped uh, in those strong currents. He said, I've been there before. I know how scary it is. I've been there when others have helped me. I've been there when I had to help myself. Having someone by your side makes the situation 100 times more bearable. It gives you a little bit of hope and assurance. A couple of days ago, back on November the 2nd, Colonel uh, Jonathan Sims presented Corporal Farmer with the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, which is awarded to uh, Marines and sailors who demonstrate heroism while not in combat with an enemy. Uh, Service members can earn the medal uh, only by risking their own lives. And uh, Colonel Jonathan Sims says, uh, said in a uh, release that, uh, quote, we're all very proud of Corporal Farmer, put himself in harm's way, and saved a life that otherwise would have been lost. His actions were consistent with our core values and embody the exact behavior we've come to expect from our Marines. So Corporal Robert Farmer, stationed at uh, Marine Corps Base Hawaii, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able, willing and able to do the right thing. And we thank you, sir for your very, very good deed. Now, that is unfortunately all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always, and we will be back here tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information. In fact, we'll be talking with uh, Dan Schmutter, uh, attorney in New Jersey, who uh, does a lot of work with the Association of New Jersey Rifle and Pistol Clubs. We're going to be talking about uh, what's going on, not only at the state level, but at the county level as well, where at least one county trying to get the... uh, the jump on state lawmakers by instituting their own sensitive places, gun-free zones. Yeah, we'll get to that uh, on the next Cam and Company. Until then, thank you again for being a part of the program. I'd also encourage you, by the way, to go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe and become a VIP or VIP Gold member. Not only will you be supporting the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism we do at Barry and Arms, but we're going to say thank you by giving you exclusive news stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else because your support does matter and it really does make a difference. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.